And while we sang that verse, I wanted to look this portion of his letter up because I wanted to read it to you tonight. And I think it goes right along with the song, Oh, How Sweet to Trust in Jesus. And Hudson Taylor, during one of the darkest times of his missionary career, he wrote these words. The sweetest part, if one may speak of one part being sweeter than another, is the rest which full identification with Christ brings. I am no longer anxious about anything as I realize this. For He, I know, is able to carry out His will. And His will is mine. It makes no matter where He places me or how. That's rather for Him to consider than for me. For in the easiest position, He must give me His grace. And in the most difficult, His grace is sufficient. It little matters to my, ser- to my servant whether I send him by a few cash uh, worth of things or the most expensive articles. In either case, he looks to me for the money and brings me his purchases. So if God should place me in serious perplexity, must he not give much guidance? In positions of great difficulty, much grace. In circumstances of great pressure and trial, much strength. No fear that his resources will prove unequal to the emergency. And his resources are mine. For He is mine, and is with me, and dwells in me. And since Christ has thus dealt in my heart by faith, how happy I have been. Oh, what a sweetness there is, isn't there? In trusting Jesus. For His resources are mine, because He is mine. And we don't ever have to fear about Him exhausting His resources, do we? Oh, my. What do we have tonight to thank the Lord for? Let's take a few moments and just give Him some thanks for all that He's done for us or for something that He's done special for you tonight. Anybody want to start us off? I was thinking as He was struggling through those names, I've had to read through missionary letters before where I didn't know the names or couldn't pronounce them. But it's amazing that God knows every one of them by name. And uh, I tell you, it's uh, nothing sweeter than missions. And... Uh, I hope that through these letters on Wednesday night, uh, we get to know our missionaries and we know better how to pray for them. Uh, we'll think of them more often, perhaps, and uh, maybe even take up a an email or a phone and call them or email them and just let them know we're praying for them and encourage them along the way. Well, let's take our Bibles tonight and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, the Bible teaches us that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And we are not called to have church so that we can have a social club, although we as Baptists love to fellowship. Amen? That's not our sole purpose, although it's a vital part of our church. I think fellowship is very healthy for us, but that's not our sole purpose. Neither is our sole purpose to have a great music program that entertains people and causes your foot to tap and 
and uh, that sort of thing. I think music ought to stir the soul. It ought to prepare our hearts for the preaching of God's Word. It ought to bring worship into our hearts for the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I think it's a vital part of our church, but it's not our sole purpose. For us to take God's Word and to devour it and to feast upon it and to have it as part of our lives, and then to take that which we've learned and give to a lost and dying world, I believe, is the thrust and the heartbeat of the church. And so we're going to kick off tonight uh, with a, a message just kind of preparing the way. And next week we're going to start a series on Wednesday night of training for ministry. And we're going to deal primarily with three areas in this, t- in this series, uh, Lord willing, unless he changes the direction we go on this. But I've spent a lot of time praying over this and, and spending some time preparing notes and getting things ready for it. And uh, I believe we're going to deal with three main areas. One is the philosophy of ministry. The philosophy of ministry. If we do not have a guiding truth about what ministry is all about that is based from God's Word, we are destined not only to fail, but we are going to be frustrated and flounder and be discouraged in any attempt to do God's work. We must have a driving truth from God's Word that directs us in everything that we do. And so we're going to be dealing with a biblical philosophy of ministry. We're also going to deal secondly with the proper motive of ministry. I believe motives matter. I believe it's a major, major thing. There are going to be some people that will stand before God one day and said, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and done all these marvelous works? And their motive has been wrong. Their heart has been wrong. In fact, they weren't even saved when they did it because the Bible says God's going to say to them, Depart from me, I never knew you. And so it's important that we have a right motive. We do not minister and labor hard and seek to reach people with the gospel so that we can build numbers in Keith Heights Baptist Church. That is not what it's about. It is about getting souls saved and on their way to heaven that used to be on their way to hell. And then to train them and teach them in the Word of God how they can go out and do the same thing. And if numbers happen, that's great. And that's for God to deal with. That's not for us to deal with. It really isn't. It's amazing when you go and talk to a, a pastor's group. If you, I've been to some pastor's meetings. And it's amazing when they begin talking amongst themselves. There's three main things they usually talk about. They usually talk about their attendance, their facilities, and their finances. And I'll tell you this, not one of those three is a gauge of success in God's eyes. Ministry is about people. And so we're going to deal with the motive of ministry. I think it's important that before we ever set foot forward in trying to serve God, we know what's supposed to be our motivating factor. And then lastly, we're going to deal with biblical methods and uh, some people teach, in the. And in fact, we're in a seeker-friendly church age where uh, churches take surveys to see what their congregation wants. Or they'll go out in the neighborhood and say, what do you want in a church? And we'll become that. I would rather take this book right here and find out what a church is supposed to be and let it be a lighthouse that people say, you know what, they have what I need and I'm going to go to it. And so we want to make sure that when we go to do the things that we're supposed to do, that we do them from a biblical perspective. And um, if you don't believe methods are important to God, then you need to tell that to Uzzah. 
who was walking along the road one day next to the Ark of the Covenant that was being carried on a cart. And that wasn't the right method, was it? How was the Ark of the Covenant supposed to be transported? On rods that were taken through the rings and carried on the shoulders of the Levites, right? But because their method was wrong, the ox stumbled, the cart swayed, the ark started to fall, and Uzzah reaches out, touches the ark to hold it up, and God strikes him dead. And we would look at that and say, but that's unfair. Uzzah was trying to do something great. His, His motive was right. And it was, wasn't it? What was wrong? Not his motive, but his method. Methods matter to God. And we do not, contrary to what a lot of churches think, live in a day and age where methods don't matter. Methods do matter. We need to make sure they are biblically based. That they do not contradict the character of God. And there are methods that are being used in churches all around the country today to get a crowd in the building and they think that that is success in ministry. And it is against the character of God. And so we're going to deal with those three areas, the philosophy of ministry, the motives of ministry, and the methods of ministry. We'll start that next week. To launch off into that, I want us to spend a few moments tonight uh, on a a topic of preparing for ministry. Preparing for ministry. If you look with me in Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to just look at one verse of Scripture, and Lord willing, we'll be out of here right on time tonight. Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to look down in verse number 13. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 13. The Bible says, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Father, we come to you tonight. I pray that you'll take the next few moments and guide our hearts and our thoughts towards you. Lord, we do not want to be a church that is lukewarm or has grown cold in the area of Uh, reaching the lost. Father, may our eyes be opened and our vision restored, and I pray that our hearts would burn within us as we look around and we see the world that we live in and those that are lost. Even Brother David tonight in the time of prayer was speaking of an acquaintance of his at work that's a proclaimed atheist. Lord, the Bible teaches that your word is quick and it is powerful and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And Father, people like this man, this uh, fellow that he works with, does not need somebody to come and and try to appeal to his uh, senses to get him to learn about you. But Lord, he needs the power of your word to do its work in his heart. And Father, as we prepare for ministry, I pray that you would give us a fire in our souls and a renewed zeal, a renewed energy to do the work that you've called us to do. For, Lord, the time is growing short, and the fields are already white unto harvest. And, Lord, you've commanded that we pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers. And so, Lord, tonight we're coming to you and we're asking for you to open our eyes, to awaken our hearts, and to stir that uh, cold ember, perhaps, that has waned away in our hearts over the years without even realizing it that the fire of Your Holy Spirit will enable us and empower us and cause us to be able to do Your work in Your power, Your way, and that we would use the right philosophy, the right motives, and the right methods. We pray that You'll bless the message tonight. And Lord, speak to our hearts inwardly 
as we take a few moments to look at this truth. And I pray that it will be a blessing and encouragement to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we get to the end of verse number 13, the Bible says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do. And if you have a pen, I would like for you, if you will, to underline. If you're in the habit of underlining your Bible, if not, just make a note of this, perhaps in a notebook. The last four words of this verse, of his good pleasure. And I want us to notice a couple of things tonight. First of all, everyone is supposed to minister. If you're here tonight and you've named the name of Christ, you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you put your faith and trust in Him, and you are now a child of God, all of us are to minister. In fact, it was so much so in the early church, they were so much so given to ministering that they were at Ephesus called Christians. And they were first called Christians in this city. Uh, was, I'm sorry, was it Antioch or Ephesus? I'm sorry, I'm going to have to look that one up. They were first called Christians in Antioch, I believe it was. Is that right? Am I right on that? Antioch, okay. So they were called Christians first in Antioch, and it was meant as a derogatory statement. And the word Christian was uh, literally meant a little Christ or little Christs. And it meant that when they looked at these people, they emulated the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question tonight. In Christ's earthly ministry, did he do any ministering? Everywhere he went, didn't he? Everything he did was for the well-being of the people that he was around. And so all of us, as God's children, are to be ministering. Now, God does choose some particular folks to be in what we call, and we use the term nowadays, full-time Christian service. Or perhaps in a leadership role in the churches in the area of maybe a Sunday school teacher or a junior church worker, perhaps a deacon or some other church leader that has a leadership role and a distinct role. And God calls them to those positions. And so we find here in verse number 13 what the aim of every Christian ought to be. The aim of every Christian ought to be for his good pleasure. Now, when we get ready to look at ministry, we've, I've been in ministries over the years. I've heard preachers get up in the pulpit and say, now, brothers and sisters, we are in need of um, a bus driver, or we are in need of a Sunday school worker, and I would like for you all to begin praying about that role. And uh, can I tell you this? There are people that will come forward sometimes, and they'll say something to this effect. Pastor, uh, I think I would like to teach a Sunday school class. There's something wrong with that statement. Two different times they use the word I. And that should never be the case. When it comes to ministry, we're not seeking for what we want to do in ministry. In fact, J. Hudson Taylor, it's amazing that Keith sang that song, triggered the thought for me to read that, because even J. Hudson Taylor said it this way, the servant has no right to tell the master what to do. The servant simply obeys. It's up to the master to tell him where to go and what to do. And by the way, He is our Lord, is He not? And He is the Master of our life. He has the right to demand of us certain things. He has every right to tell us exactly what He wants us to do. And as a servant, do we have the right to say, No, Lord, I don't think I want to do that. I want to do this over here. Do we have that right? You know, you try to do that to your boss when next time he tells you to do something at work. No, I don't think I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this over here. 
I'm going to go to the CEO's office and sit in, her, in that desk, and uh, I don't think that would go over real well, would it? So everything that we do when it comes to ministry is focused on one thing and one thing only. His good pleasure. If I teach a Sunday school class, I want to make sure that it's for his good pleasure, not because of what I want to do. Now, we know what the aim is. We're to please God in all that we do in ministry. So how do we get there? We're going to work this verse backwards a little bit here by starting at the end, saying this is our aim, this is our focus, this is where we want to get to. And then how do we get there? What's the journey we take to get to this place? And so let's take a look at it. And it says in verse number 13, and we'll start right at the very beginning here, for it is God which worketh, what are the next two words here? In you. Now we, on a Wednesday night crowd, I think most all of us tonight would confidently say, I've trusted Christ as my Savior. If you can't do that tonight, let me ask you, before you leave here tonight, come see me. We need to get that matter settled before it's too late. But I think most all of us here tonight would say we're saved, we're on our way to heaven. And here's the interesting thing. I love this about being a Christian. When we get saved, the Bible teaches us that our bodies become the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in us, which we have of God, and we are not our own, for we are bought with a price. And the Holy Spirit of Almighty God Himself, which, by the way, is co-equal, He's no less God than God the Father or God the Son, God Himself, through His Holy Spirit, comes to live inside of us. That's a miracle in and of itself, is it not? That God Himself lives and resides inside of us. And not only does He live inside of us, but then He begins to work inside of us, does He not? So we're, we're here to do His good pleasure, whatever it may be. Whether it be preaching, whether it be being a missionary, whether it be a Sunday school teacher, whatever area of ministry God puts you in, it's for His good pleasure. And He's the one that lives in you and works in you. Now watch this, because the Bible says in verse number 13, It is God which worketh in you both to will, do you see that? And to do of His good pleasure. I want you to notice this, that our will must first come before our doing. And so God begins to work in us, in the area of our will. I've heard people over the years say, uh, by way of testimony, well, I knew God was wanting me to do this, and I had just struggled. I didn't want to do it, and I just really fretted. And I'll tell you, over the years, God just drugged me through the coals, and bless God, He got a hold of me one day, and I finally yielded to Him. And, and I think God can do that from time to time. But I don't think that's the way God ever wants it to be. What I believe God wants it to be is that when He comes to live in us and He wants to work in us, I believe that He wants us to draw nigh to Him and to walk with Him and our relationship to Him to be so interpersonal that we grow closer and closer and closer and closer to Him every single day that our will starts becoming what His will is. He has to work on our will first, and I believe that God's desire is that we, that we want to be in ministry. I heard Scott Pauley, who's a preacher, say it this way in teaching on this verse. He made this statement. He said, the fact that we are in ministry is not the great miracle here. The great miracle is that we want to be in ministry. Because his belief was this, that God changes our wanter. 
You remember the verse of Scripture that says, Delight thyself in the Lord. I believe it's in Romans chapter 11. It says, Delight thyself in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thy heart. You remember that verse? And for years I've heard that preached on, that if you'll delight in the Lord, that whatever it is that you want, He'll give you those desires. But I think we've misread that verse for many, many years. I don't think that's what it says at all. I don't think it's some kind of Aladdin's lamp where if we do this, God will poof, give us the desires of our heart. I believe it's to be read this way. Delight thyself also in him, and he shall give thee the desires. Pause there for a moment. The desires of thy heart. God will change the desires. As we draw closer to him, the desire begins to change. And preparing for ministry, if the aim is for his good pleasure... And in order to get there, our will must be in line before we ever do His good pleasure. Then the critical thing in preparing for ministry is my walk with Him. My relationship to God vertically comes way before anything that I do out here. Sunday school teacher, if it's given your lot and God has called you to ministry, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, And that is the role God has given you to do, your first priority before you study a lesson, before you invite kids with a card, before you send out a we miss you or a get well or a happy birthday card or come and make sure your Sunday school room is clean or come and make sure that everything is prepared before all of that. There must be your personal walk with God. First and foremost. Why? Because that's what changes our will. That's what causes our will to want to be in ministry. I, I'm going to be real transparent with you for a few moments tonight. I've been in ministry for a long time, and I know many of you sitting out here have been in ministry as long or longer than I have. But I'll tell you, at least in my experience, and it may not have happened in yours, but there have been times in my experience where I, my tank was empty when it came to ministry. Where I got up and I went because I knew I was obligated to it. But there was no zip in there. There was no fire to, to, to do that work that day in that Sunday school room or in that youth conference. And I say that to my shame. That there have been times in ministry. And as I've gotten older in ministry, I've found that the only effective way of doing God's work is when my relationship to Him is right. And when I'm drawing closer to Him, He's able to use us as a vessel. We spoke about last week, meat for the Master's use. So the Bible teaches us that it is God that worketh in us. Not only does He live in us, He sets up shop and He begins to work on us. He begins to work on our will. The closer we draw to Him, the more our wills become like His. In fact, the psalmist said it this way, Oh, that my ways were thy ways. The desire of the psalmist's heart was, Lord, whatever your ways are, I want my ways to come into line with them. 
No wonder the psalmist wrote so often, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. No wonder in Psalm 119, over and over again in that great chapter, he talks about how much he loves God's precepts and God's testimonies and God's commandments because his walk with God was paramount. No wonder at the end of David's life, after all the failures he had been to God, God still considered him a man after his own heart. And so we find that this is God that works in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. How do we know whether it's God's desire for us to serve in an area of ministry or whether it's ours? And I guess we could word it this way. How do we know if this is God's will? Can I tell you this, that I believe that the calling of God is nothing more than a God-given desire. And I've had people over the years, and I've heard other people say this before too, and they've experienced the same thing. Some people say, well, how do you know when God's calling you to do something? And I'll give you a very profound answer. You just know. You just know the desire inside your heart is such that you cannot get away from it. Here's the difference. Here's the litmus test, if you will. Here's the the standard, the rule that we're going to measure this desire by to find out, is it my desire or is it his desire? And here's the standard. You ready? God's desire for us never changes. Ours does. You ever experience that? You want something so bad and then... Next little while goes by and you want something else. Your desire is on something else. Maybe it was a job. Maybe it was a career move. I remember I'll use Jonathan. He's back there sleeping on me anyway. So, oh, he's not sleeping. He's just resting his eyes, checking for cracks. But I'm going to, Jonathan, I don't mean to embarrass you, but I'm going to use you for a minute tonight. But there's times Jonathan will want me to buy him something. And I mean, he just really, really wants it. And occasionally, as a dad will sometimes, I'll reach in my pocket Against my better judgment, because I know before I buy it, he's not ever going to use it. And we'll buy it. And he'll play with it for an hour or two, realize it's not what he wanted, throw it in the corner, and then the next day he wants something else. And I use Jonathan as an illustration. Here's the truth of the matter. All of us have done that, have we not? Some of us over something as simple as a toy when we were younger, but a lot of us, even in the day and age that we live... When it comes in the area of ministry, we want this or we want that. And the truth of the matter is it's us that's desiring it. And can I tell you this, that when we enter the ministry, whatever area we serve in, because it's what we want, we start doing it in our strength. And we're frustrated and invariably we fail. The Bible teaches us this, that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Now, notice this. There's two things mentioned here. Gifts and callings. We said that a calling of God is nothing more than a God-given desire. The desire is without repentance. But I want you to notice this, that wherever God, give, wherever God calls us, He gifts us to enable us to do it. 
So I've taught teenagers over the years many, many times that usually when three things line up, you can pretty well mark it down. It's God's will. I'm going to give a disclaimer to this before I give you those three things and then we'll be done. The three things that I'm getting ready to give you must never contradict God's word or God's character. If they ever contradict God's word or God's character, they are not God's will. Now, let me give you the three things. First of all, has he given you the ability to do what he's asking you to do? Do you have the ability to do it? Now, I know some people who've said, I don't have the ability, but I'm willing. I think I have a desire to do it. I'll give it my best try. And they go into it with a humbleness of spirit and they begin to work and to labor. And God gives them that ability along the way. And I've seen that happen before. But generally speaking, God will usually give us a work to do in the area of the gift that he's given to us. And so the first thing is, are we able to do it? Secondly, do we have a desire to do it? And again, we must check that desire against, is it God's desire or mine? And then thirdly, do we have opportunity to do it? Usually, when those three things line up, you can mark it down, that's what God wants for me to do. Do I have ability? Do I have a desire? And do I have opportunity? Now, let's read this verse again with all that we've said. I want you to listen carefully to it from start to finish. And where it's applicable to your life, I want you to begin plugging these things in. So let's look at it very quickly. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. All right, quiz time real quick. What is our aim? What is our sole purpose in ministry? What is it to do? Somebody shout it out real quick. His good pleasure. Everything we do is for his good pleasure. Now, how do we get there? God has to be in us, and he also has to work in us. Right? And when he does that, he changes our what? Desires. So we know the desire that God puts in our hearts, whether it is ours or his, because his desire never changes. And then the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. This God-given calling, this desire in our heart, comes with the gifts that God has enabled us and the talents that he's given to us. We're going to be asking our folks to pray and to increase their relationship with God. And to lay themselves open and say, God, it's not what I want to do. I'm laying myself on an altar. I will say this in closing. This is only my second closing, I think. Shortly before I surrendered to preach, when I was 17 years old, I was planning on going to a Christian college and studying computer science and um, was just going to be a member of a church, help a pastor. And by the way, let me just say this. When you belong to a church, you're either pastoring the church or you're helping the pastor to pastor the church. That's what every member ought to be doing. And so I had gone to, I'd already had my plans made, and I mean, I'm weeks away from going to college. I already had the college picked out, already was accepted at the college, already had my courses set, was ready to go. 
And a few weeks before it was time for me to go, I knew God had been dealing with my heart about some things, and I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was. But I do remember this. I remember going to the altar, service after service after service, for about three or four weeks, and every single time weeping and saying, God, I don't know what you have for my life, but whatever it is, take it. It's yours. And laying the life down and not saying, God, here's what I'd like to do, but saying, God, I don't know what is in store for my life, but whatever it is, my life is yours. And when that desire in my heart changed to where instead of fighting and struggling with what God wanted me to do, I was open to it, God could then say, okay, Greg, here's what I have for you. And in my case, he called me to preach. Doesn't happen to everybody that way. It may be God wants you to be the best church member he can. You can be. But we're all to be ministering. And so as we get ready to study these things over the next few weeks, I wanted to give you kind of a groundwork, kind of a, an idea of where our focus is going to be. God is the central part of the hub, and everything else we do branches out from Him. And so we'll be looking at that over the next several weeks. Let's stand together. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word and how it teaches, how it instructs us. Lord, if there's one thing I could ask you to do in our hearts as we leave here tonight, it would be to stir the embers of our hearts to fire us up and get us to a point where we have a renewed zeal and a renewed passion for our relationship with you. That we would love you more each and every day, that we would draw closer to you. And then, Father, that we would openly yield ourselves to you and ask that you would give the desires of our hearts to us. That you would allow our desires to be what you would desire. That our eyes would be open, that we can see things the way that you see them when it comes to the area of serving and uh, seeing the lost. And so, Father, in the days and weeks ahead, I pray that you'll give great guidance and great direction. Give clarity of thought as we take a few weeks to study through some things and then to begin some practical uh, helps and training so that we're ready and enabled to work and to serve wherever you place us, that we'll be able to minister and reach people with the gospel before it's too late. Dismiss us with your blessings, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Dismissed.